Welcome to Bethlehem Church Online. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm so excited that you decided to join us for worship today. I hope the singing and preaching of God's Word is uplifting and it gives you just what you need. I'm not sure where you are in your relationship or your walk with the Lord, uh, but I want today to be a blessing. I want you to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that today is encouraging and that it's just what you need. If it's your first time, make sure to click the link in the post and fill out that form. We have a free gift for you following today's service. Thank you so much for joining us and enjoy the service. So Exodus for me, uh, Pastor Matt's done a lot of introduction. We've talked about a lot. He unpacked the life of Abraham in such a cool way where we see that the Exodus really just, you know, Abraham and his life and what happens is a prefigurement of what we see will happen to the Israelites in their Exodus. And so as we go through today, I'm just going to give you, I'm going to give the farm away ahead of time so you know what to expect. So we're going to be talking about, I titled my message, uh, Facing the Dragon. Uh, I wanted to call it Enter the Dragon because it's a really cool Bruce Lee movie, but I decided not to do that um, because I was like, eh, I'm childish enough, so don't need that in the mix. Um, but what we're going to look at today is how uh, this is really important. So like Pharaoh, as we see his, his, who he is unpacking in the Exodus narrative, uh, today is foundational in understanding how uh, Pharaoh is portrayed by the narrative, how, how the person who wrote Exodus wants you to view uh, the king of Egypt, as he's called in Exodus chapter 1, the Pharaoh. Uh, so he's cast as a dragon, and we'll kind of unpack that. Um, so I'm going to front load you some information. We're going to talk about some, uh, some practical applications that go beyond that. Some really just, as I was meditating and reading and studying, um, you know, just some really good things that I got out of it. So hang with me for the beginning. It's going to move a little slower. It's going to speed up. It's going to be like a really good roller coaster. You know what I mean? The suspense is there, and then it just takes off. So that's kind of where we're at. Uh, I'm going to pray really quick because you guys are getting the uh, – we were all over the place at the 9 a.m. So I'm going to pray really quick, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump in. Uh, Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for uh, just the opportunity to sit here, uh, to give your word, to hear your word. And, uh, Father, I pray that um, it impacts every heart in this room in a, in a unique way. And, uh, Father, I pray that we carry these truths with us as we go about our weeks. And, uh, Father, I just pray that uh, everybody in here would leave different today than when they came in, uh, more encouraged, more challenged. And I pray that you would allow me to speak clearly uh, these truths that are in front of me. In Jesus' name, amen. Good stuff. So we'll go ahead and read. Uh, I've got six, se seven or eight verses, depending on how you count, um, which there's only one way to count, so probably like eight. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, verse 15, Exodus chapter 1, it says, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named uh, Shifra, and the other was named Pua. Pua, like from Moana. I watch Moana like a ton because I have a three-year-old, so Pua's the pig. Um, that's always what I think of when I read this. We're off to a great start. All right. Uh, verse 16, And he said, When you were helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. If it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. Uh, so the king of Egypt called for their midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. And so God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and they became very mighty. 
uh, because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you were to cast into the Nile and every daughter you were to keep alive. So a lot going on here in just a couple verses. How many we don't know because I can't count and I'm not going to think about it too hard in front of you. Um, but a lot going on here, a lot to unpack. Uh, but like I said, we're going to start off uh, with how the narrator is portraying uh, the Pharaoh in this passage. And so as we view this set of events, I think it's helpful to talk about uh, how we should be, you good? Good back there? Cool. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> uh, as we view this set of events, we should view them in light of how the book of Genesis kind of sets the stage for it. And so when we look at our Bibles, you see that Exodus is kind of a, it looks like a standalone work because it's its own book. And so you're like, okay, so within the walls of this story, it's kind of a standalone thing, and that's true to an extent, um, but what's helpful, though, is when we think about it, understand that Genesis through Deuteronomy, those first five books of the Bible, were originally just one work. They are one story that goes from creation to the death of Moses. It's one literary work. Uh, the reason we have five is because we, they didn't have books back then, and so they had, it took five scrolls to put all this together. And so we just have, you know, tradition has kept it as five, you know, works of literature, a part of one larger body. And so important to understanding Exodus is how Genesis kind of sets the stage. And so as we begin looking at this, I want to turn your attention to, we're going to look at the fall uh, in Genesis chapter three. So we're going way back at this point. Uh, Genesis three, verse 14 says this, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, right? He, the serpent deceived the woman. She ate of the fruit of the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil, and now humanity is exiled from the garden, right? And so Yahweh is about to condemn the serpent. Um, and he says, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, you on the head, right? And you shall bruise him on the heel. And so this little snippet here of how uh, God is condemning, it's a, it's, it goes back and forth, and we'll touch on what he said to the woman a little bit too. Um, but he's, he's going back and forth between the woman and the serpent, and he's laying out consequences for what just happened. Because you did this, this is going to happen. And so this struggle that is described where it says he will put enmity between the woman and the serpent, uh, what you'll see play out from this is there's this theme in scripture where the seed of the woman, which would be God's people, right? And you can trace that from Eve to David to Jesus, right? And then you have the seed of the snake, which is really anybody who embodies the, the, the motive or the, the goal, you know, the ideals of the snake. Anybody who is in that vein, uh, scripture would call the seed of the snake, right? And that, that theme manifests itself in some cool, sorry, some cool ways, should have, should have drank uh, less coffee, um, manifests itself in some cool ways. Like we think about uh, Goliath being this big villain in the Old Testament, and his armor is described as being scaly, right? That's because the author wants you to look at that and be like, oh, well, he must be on that side of the story and not on the good side, right? Because he's described as a snake. And so when we look at this, living in a post-fall world, the seed of the woman is in a struggle with the seed of the snake. This is something that uh, is going on now, right? And has been going on for a long time since this happened with the snake. And so when we look at 
Israelites versus Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, we have to look at it on these terms. This is a struggle between snake and Eve, right? It's just replaying itself. It is a curse that is recapitulated all the time. And so when we look at it, that's kind of how we have to, to frame that. And honestly, to add a bit of irony, it is pretty funny to me that, you know, pharaohs historically wear a big snake on their forehead. So that's a, a pretty practical giveaway there that he's on the side of the snake there. Um, so Pharaoh was literally a walking billboard that put on display who was really in power in Egypt. And let's think about it this way. Think about like, uh, that's probably not helpful. But as we move through here, let's look at Revelation 12, 9. So who is the snake, right? The snake in Genesis 3. We read this and you're like, it doesn't really make any sense. Like number one, snakes don't talk. Number two, like this is just a really weird situation where a snake is having a conversation with a woman and a woman eats some fruit. The woman is condemned. The snake is condemned. Like it's a whole weird thing. And so your antennas go up when you read that and you're like, well, what, what's going on here? Like this is, did snakes used to talk and now they don't? And so how scripture would frame it is really summed up in Revelation 12. And so Revelation 12, 9 says this. So the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth. And so this idea, right, John, when he's, when he's uh, recounting his, uh, his visions in the book of Revelation, he's like, hey, listen, just in case you weren't aware, like the serpent is actually the devil, spoiler alert, right? And he manifests himself in these different themes, which one is uh, the great dragon, right? That's a picture of Satan in Revelation and some other passages of scripture. And so when we look at Pharaoh, the reason why my message title is Facing the Dragon is because Pharaoh is in fact portrayed as this dragon that is, that is bent against God's people. Um, and he's portrayed that way because of who's working behind him. You know what I mean? And as, as Christians, we believe that there are forces of darkness that are actively working against God and his church. And that's, that's not changed, right? This is happening in Egypt with the Israelites. And so we believe that, and that is what's in play here. And so this is why we have to unpack this, this theme here. So Revelation clears that up pretty nicely. And so in Revelation, we can kind of see that those terms, dragon, sea monster, snake, serpent, they're all a part of the same matrix of ideas, right? They're not, they're not all these different, they are unique, but they're all portraying the same thing. It's like we use symbolism for things today as well. And I, don't, I should have put on a montage of logos together because you guys would have, <laughs> would have been able to guess those. But we use symbolism for things, right? And so did they. So this shouldn't come as any, any surprise. And so the New Testament uses the same language that we're talking about with Pharaoh being influenced by this dragon, right? It uses the same language to talk about powers in their day. And so Ephesians 6.12 says this. It'll be up on the screen there. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the powers and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then if you go over to uh, John 12, Jesus says this, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus himself said, there is a ruler in this world that needs to be cast out. Like these are like Paul and Jesus and Exodus, they're all affirming that, Behind the scenes of the evil that we see in this world, yes, we, we partake in that. Like, there are bad people in this world. 
But what they're saying is like, listen, there are people pulling the strings behind the scenes that you don't see that are really working here. And what the narrator of Exodus is trying to show you by portraying Pharaoh in this way is like, hey, listen, like this is not, like Pharaoh is not just like, hey, I hate Jews today, so we're gonna, we're gonna exterminate them. Like that's not the motive at all. The motive is that the enemy knew that God was working on something, right? The Israelites are here, they're multiplying, they're flourishing in the beginning of Exodus chapter one because God made a promise to Abraham that the nations that were exiled, the nations that were disinherited would be brought back into the fold and under God's authority through the family of this guy called Abraham. And so the forces of darkness look at this and they're like, oh, okay, they're doing pretty well. We have to stop this. And so when we look at Pharaoh, this is exactly how the narrator wants you to look at him as somebody who, yes, is evil, yes, does bad things, but there is something much deeper going on behind the scenes with this Pharaoh. The enemy of the garden, right? We talked about the snake, we're talking about Pharaoh. The enemy of the garden is the same that we find in Egypt, and he's the same that we face every day. That's where this gets really relevant, is because we're talking about this, and it seems so, when we talk about the Exodus and we talk about, you know, just, I mean, so long ago, right? It seems so far away from home and so abstract. But what we can get from this and the whole story of Scripture is that really these realities, these things that are working, these things that are happening, they're not far from home. They're very close to home because the same enemy that was at work then is at work trying to destroy our church, your family, your livelihood, your children today. Like that's happening now. Like, that's not a then thing, that is a now thing. And so, if anything, this, this idea should produce a, a form of urgency in our minds that even though we know Jesus crushed the snake, right? He, you know, his heel was bruised and the serpent was crushed when he was crucified and rose again. But guess what? The battle has been won, but the battle is still going. And so, it's already, but not yet. It is finished, but it is not finished. We're still in this thing. And there still is a real enemy uh, Peter says that the devil walks about like a, a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He's looking. He's on the search. And if you're like a gazelle that's wandering who doesn't know what's going on, the lion's going to get you. That's just, I mean, I've watched National Geographic enough to know that that is what happens. And you don't want to be the one that's kind of limping at the back of the pack, right? So don't be that, right? And we're going to get into, you know, what would make you the not not healthy gazelle, okay? We're going to get into that. And so as we look at this, you know, we're seeing the picture painted. We're seeing how Pharaoh's being cast in this story here. And by the way, this is like, and, and to me, this is hard to, it's taken me a while to be okay with this way of thinking, I guess. But the Exodus is a story written by somebody. They are real events, but it is, it is portrayed in a certain fashion. Um, I use this illustration at the 9 a.m. Jason and I, we go and ride dirt bikes together. Are you back there? Yeah. Don't mute me this time, okay? When we come back, it's always fun to share stories about crashes, cool things, whatever. And I'm always quick to be like, Jason crashed six times today, right? And I usually neglect to tell that I laid my bike over twice <laughs> or, or 12 times or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, but when we tell, when we recall events, every time that you tell a story, if you saw it with your own eyes, when you tell that story, it's a retelling of that event from your perspective. And you have things that you want to communicate when you're telling a story. You have priorities and you have not priorities. And so you're going to see to it 
that what is important to you comes out. And so when we read Exodus or really any part of the Bible, yes, these are true events that happened, but we have to understand that when these stories are being communicated, it's not just like, you know, it's not like a, a, a clerk in a courtroom where they're just writing everything verbatim that happens and, and accuracy is, is the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is a, a unified story that leads to Jesus. That's the ultimate goal of scripture. And to get there, you know, these stories are cast in a certain way. And that might be, that's a lot to chew on for, for me and for some of you, I'm sure. Um, but it's important to look at scripture that way. We should be reading scripture like you would read a novel, not like you would read a textbook. That's just how it's designed. And so we should honor that. Um, but as we move through, we'll see Pharaoh is cast uh, with a word that literally means dragon. Uh, if you turn over to Ezekiel chapter 29, I know Ezekiel's probably like a fan favorite in here of books in the Bible that we like to read. The fact that nobody's laughing means that nobody's read Ezekiel. Um, <laughs> everybody's like, yeah, that's my favorite right there. Ezekiel bread, it's my favorite thing. Um, but uh, Ezekiel 29.3 says this, Speak and say, thus says Yahweh God, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The great monster, that Hebrew word is tanim, which means sea dragon. Um, the great monster that lies in the midst of the rivers that has said, my Nile is mine and I myself have made it. I will put hooks in your jaws and make the fish of your rivers cling to your scales. And I will bring you up out of the midst of your rivers and all the fish of your rivers will cling to your scales. Now this is a different Pharaoh that Ezekiel's talking about, but this idea is the same, right? He's, he's using chaos imagery, uh, symbols that would symbolize chaos, disorder, destruction to, to describe Pharaoh. And they use the same language about every Pharaoh and about the king of Babylon. Like these are, you know, these are commonplace things that, that uh, people from this time period would use. And so they're casting him in this way. And that same term is used over and over and over again, even in Exodus to describe these, these almost mythical creatures. But the, the, the idea of that creature is not important. Like I'm not here to tell you that fire-breathing dragons existed. It's a fact. It's what the Bible said. I'm just telling you that they use symbolism the same way we use symbolism. Whether there was dragons or not is a different story, even though there were. Um, anyway, <laughs> totally separate thing. Um, and so with that, let's, think of, let's, let's recap just for a second before we jump into this next section. This is all intro. And I told my wife that, man, y'all would be so happy if I got you out of here by 12 today, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, so Pharaoh is cast as this dragon, this chaos, destruction figure. That is how he's being painted. And so if he's being painted in the same way as like the Satan figure with that backdrop, you know, what is he doing? How does, how is he operating in a way that, that, that shows that? And I think when we read this, we're like, man, that's objectively terrible to kill babies. Like, would we agree with that? Like, that's a bad thing to do, Right. And so no bells go off when we read this. We're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty evil. So Pharaoh's an evil guy, right? And so, but if we dig a little bit deeper, I think we'll find that this is not only, I mean, yes, very evil, um, but it's very calculated and it's a very intelligent evil at work here. And how they bring this out is pretty cool. And so 
we start uh, start off Exodus. The Israelites are, you know, Pastor Matt talked about it last week, uh, but they're in the land, they're flourishing, and the Bible uses language that says they were fruitful, they were multiplying, and they were living in that blessing that, that God promised to Abraham that they were going to flourish and they were going to become uh, a mighty nation, and that was happening. It was happening. And that was a recollection or a reboot, so to say, of what God had promised people in Eden, right? When God created mankind in his image, the design was for, for us to share rulership with God and rule his creation with him together. The partnership was the idea. And so the Eden blessing was, was dominion over creation to, to become you know, mighty and be ruling the world with our, our creator. That's the idea. And also to be fruitful and to multiply. Like these are all, they're all in that same matrix of ideas. And that's the same thing that God told Abraham. Like, hey, listen, I know when your ancestors messed up, you, you lost this and, and humanity was exiled from the garden, but we're gonna reboot that with you. And we're gonna start this thing over. And we see that coming to fruition in the book of Exodus where that blessing is, is, is working and moving and, and God's people are growing and Pharaoh gets scared. He's like, they're, they're gonna outnumber us and become mightier than we are. So we, we have to do something about that. And once again, that was a threat because you know, the person working behind the scenes knew what was in motion, right? The enemy that saw what was happening saw that as a threat to himself and needed to exterminate that. And so how do we, how do we know that's the case? So number one, we see a, an Eden. It's like a direct reversal of the Eden blessing. So the Eden blessing being dominion and flourishing and multiplying turned into enslavement and bondage. Pharaoh said, oh, you think you want to flourish and, and have kids and, and, and fill the land and, and rule? Well, guess what? That's not going to happen because you're getting enslaved. And you're going to serve our kingdom. You're going to make bricks for me to build houses and things for my economical gain. You're not going to be free. You're not going to flourish. That's the first one. And the second one that we see that Pharaoh is kind of implementing here is he's implementing curses from the fall in Genesis 3 onto the people. And if you recall back, I don't think I have the scripture in there. It, it probably isn't on the screen. Um, but uh, in Genesis 3, when uh, there's a list of, of curses that befall mankind after the fall, um, one of which is pain and sorrow in childbearing. So like around, the, and, and we all know that like childbearing is not comfortable at all, right? Like that's a very common idea. <laughs> we all know that. Um, but this idea that there would be pain surrounding childbirth, and I think that a big part of that is like there's, I mean, think about mortality rates before modern medicine. Like it's probably really bad. Like people had a lot of children because they lost a lot of children. And so this idea that pain through childbirth, this whole thing. Uh, number two was hard labor. The ground was cursed so that Adam was basically sentenced to a life of working the ground and it was going to be hard. It was going to be difficult. There was thorns. Um, I'm not a farmer, but that just doesn't sound fun, right? Sounds like a curse to me. Um, and then finally, death. Um, the Bible says it pretty plainly. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Uh, because we are sinners, we all die. Um, my dad always used to tell me, uh, you know, there's two things in life that are certain, death and paying taxes. And I said, you don't know how creative I can get with the IRS. Uh, just kidding. I do pay my taxes. I know the feds are watching. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, these things are, are curses that are brought on by our sinful condition, Right. And so we see what Pharaoh is doing is obviously like, okay, pain around childbearing, like he's literally killing their children. And how he's doing this, you can see it kind of unfold, but like number one, he tells these midwives that are supposed to be caring 
for these Hebrew women, he says, hey, listen, if you see that it's a male, you kill it. And what he was trying to do, and mind you, Egypt, they had methods of doing like, you know, pre-birth abortion, even in ancient Egypt thousands of years ago. And so what these midwives would have done to make it look like an accident is you, you know, you're delivering a baby and you accidentally move something the wrong way and you, you tell the mother like, man, the baby didn't make it. That's really, that's really sad. And because of low mortality rates in this day and age, it would have just been like, oh man, that, you know, there, there's no questioning. There's no autopsies. There's nobody keeping check on these things. Like it would have been a, a subtle, deceitful way to exterminate a population. That was the plan. And number two, hard labor. These, the Israelites were enslaved to making bricks. And if you, I've, once again, never made bricks before. It's not really my, my thing. Don't really intend on it being my thing either. Um, but it's a very hard, painstaking process, especially without OSHA. Everybody hates on OSHA, right? <laughs> but <laughs> brick making in Egypt probably wouldn't have been as bad. It might have been worse if OSHA was there. Um, but it's just a long day of like heat and dust. I mean, people were falling over dead from inhaling all of these different things. Like it was hard, hard labor. And this was their, their fate for hundreds of years. The Israelites prior to being delivered, they were just, their children were being killed. They were being killed while they were laboring for Pharaoh. Um, but despite all of that, when we read Exodus, it's like Pharaoh tried all these things and they just kept growing. Their population just kept getting bigger. They kept flourishing even more, even though, Pharaoh's hand was against them the whole time. And so, and finally, death. Um, obviously, Pharaoh was killing them. So that's, you know, these three things, these three curses from, from sin in the garden that were, were put on the woman and the man because of what the snake did, like they're, they're resurfacing again. So Pharaoh is reversing the blessing that God was trying to give to the Israelites. And so all of this sets the stage for what is about to happen in this book. Um, and culturally, I think we're pretty much, we're, we're all vaguely aware of how the Exodus works, of how, you know, Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go, and it happens like 10 more times, doesn't go well. Um, you know, we're all aware of that. But this, this sets the stage of why deliverance was so necessary for the Israelites when they were in Egypt. Like they were, you know, the, the enemy was, was pushing them and, and putting them in a place where they were, they were suffering things that, that God was like, I'm, God was like, I'm trying to bless them. I'm trying to, to save the world through them. And so, you know, there's always going to be opposition to that from the enemy. And as we move on, what's painfully obvious when you read this and you think about these things and we think about God's blessing, how many of y'all like to be blessed, right? We all, we all want God's blessing. And usually it's in monetary forms, right? Like we're like, if I could just have, if I could just be the one to win the lottery, Lord, I'll serve you forever, sacrificially. If you haven't prayed that before, you're not being real, because we all have, okay? Um, but we all, we all want God's blessing on our life. We all want to be in God's will. But what happens when you're in God's will is you get, you get hurt, right? God's blessing on your life does not negate adversity. It does not keep you away from struggle. Actually, it guarantees that you will struggle. It guarantees that you will go through tribulation. Jesus promised that. That's one of the guarantees that he gave us before he left. In this world, you will endure tribulation. But yet, we don't look at our struggles that way. We don't look at our struggles from the standpoint of, I'm going through this because God is working in my life, right? We look at it as Americans as, God must not be too happy with me because I'm struggling with my children, or I'm struggling with my finances, or I'm struggling with 
whoever, right? We look at that as God must not love me. He must not be with me today. I guess I need to pray harder. I guess I need to give more money to the church, though that's not a bad thing, right? Um, I guess I need to work at the soup kitchen one more day a week, right? Whatever it is, like we, we look at God's blessing as a, as a transactional thing because when we're not getting it, we're like, surely we're not doing something right. But what scripture presents and sets before us is like, hey, listen, the, the Israelites were, were very, like they were living in that. Like they were Eden 2.0, they were blessed, they were flourishing, nothing could stop them, but yet the struggle was still present. And not only was it present, it was very present. Slavery and death are like very, very real struggles, right? But scripture doesn't present that as God forsaking them. It presents them as a consequence. This is a real world consequence of living in a sin-sick world that when God tries to bless you in an effort to advance his kingdom, to advance the gospel, to advance your family, there is somebody who does not want that, who is not happy about that. That is why struggle is guaranteed. And we have two options when we look at struggle like this. We can A, we can get mad and bitter about it. And it's very easy to do when you're going through something to automatically be like, God, why am I going through this? This doesn't make any sense. I've been so faithful. I've been living in your will. Or you can look at it and say, you know what? Somebody does not like what's going on in my life right now, which is why I'm struggling. There is, there is an intelligent evil that does not like the fact that the Lord is working in my life, which is why I'm struggling. That's how we have to look at it. That's how we have to look at suffering because suffering is so important. And if there's anybody who proved that we can achieve victory through suffering, it was Jesus. That is the, the model, the very model, the very person that everything that we do points to. The hallmark of his life was suffering. Have we thought about that? Have we thought about that? That's a, it's a deep thought, right? I don't know about you, but I like to be comfortable, right? As Americans, we dedicate our whole lives to becoming more comfortable. We work hard to save for a retirement, right? We work hard to, you know, so we can have air conditioning and heat and a car, prayerfully a car that, you know, has heat and air conditioning, right? Like all of these things that we do revolve, like we, we work ourselves to the bone to achieve monetary gains and comforts. And I'm not saying that I'm immune to that because I also like the fact that my minivan has heated seats. Okay. Listen, I bought it used. I ain't rich. Okay. But I do like it. Um, but that is how we, that is how we, uh, that's how we live our lives. That's why we work. That's why we push so hard to get things. And the enemy looks at that and he says, that's great. You keep working for those things. You keep your mind and energy occupied on things that don't matter at all. That's right where I want you. And the Lord says, listen, if I'm working in your life and I'm blessing you, that doesn't always equate to you having it easy. That doesn't always equate to you being comfortable and having everything that you want. What it usually equates to in some way, shape, or form is you having a hard time. But if our goal is Jesus and not the things, that's okay. If our, Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, listen, if I'm living, that's what I'm aiming for. And if I'm not living, that's okay because that's who I'm with. And if we, if we shifted our perspective to live that way, imagine, imagine what our church could do in our community and in our city with a church full of people that were just dedicated to, like, I'm living for him and that's it. Nothing else matters. But guess what? You can't have a, a successful small group in your house if you ain't got heat. So there's, you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's a balance for sure, right? Um, but what would happen if we lived that way? 
that was all sidetracked. That's not in my notes at all. Um, anyway, so God's blessing on your life doesn't negate that. It guarantees it. Pharaoh then, cast in this way, cements his identity as a force of chaos and a puppet for Satan to influence and, and use to attempt to thwart, <laughs> I got all kinds of complicated words back to back in here, to thwart Yahweh's plan of redemption. That's how the narrator intends us to view the Pharaoh. So with all that front loaded and in mind there, I've got about 10 minutes to land the plane and I think I could do it. So let's talk about the Hebrew midwives. Really cool story. Um, first of all, it's kind of strange when you read it and you study this. I mean, I've read the story like a bunch, right? And I have children's books at home that my daughter reads and it's all, you know, it's all there, right? We all know about the, the midwives and what they did. But what I never knew was that we don't actually know if these midwives were Egyptian or not because they're called the Hebrew midwives. But that could mean, like, is it midwives to the Hebrews or is it midwives of the Hebrews? Like, were they Hebrew women? Were they Egyptian? We don't really know. Um, I think that them being Egyptian is a little bit more impactful. Um, so I'm going to roll with that <laughs> for my sermon here. Uh, but I have a nice little excerpt there. If you read my notes in the program, um, it's, all, it's all there. You can read that. I'll spare you uh, the time for right now. Uh, but whether they, were, whether they were Hebrews or not, it's insignificant. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Um, but what is significant, though, is that these women were mentioned by name and their stories are told. Because in the ancient Near East, it's widely known, and really it's still that way in the East today in a lot of areas, where women are not, like women are not regarded at all. Like women cannot own property. Uh, some countries, women can't even drive still, which if you've seen my wife drive, that's not the worst thing. Um, <laughs> sorry, I had to lighten it up just a little bit. Um, I get it, you know, to a certain extent. Um, but, but women, <laughs> I just blew my whole thing apart, what I was about to say. Um, but, um, but women were not regarded highly at all in, in, in the ancient Near East or in, in the East widely today. Um, why that is, I'm not really sure, but like women can't own property. They can't do a lot of things, let alone have their story told and have their names given by name. Um, and this is one of those instances, one of, of many in the Old Testament where, um, you know, the Old Testament from its world, right, women were treated far greater than women of any other society in their time. And that just goes to show you that, like, culture, culture does not define your significance, women or not, right? We live in a day and age where, you know, these young girls, these young women or dudes like me, I mean, you follow some of these people on Instagram, their life looks amazing, right? They, they post these pictures and you're like, I look horrible when I look in the mirror. Like there's really no point in me putting any effort into myself, right? And our culture defines how we view ourselves uh, to, to a very deep extent. Um, and it's, it's destroying our youth. I see it every day. I mean, this, 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 this thing of comparison and who's better than the other and what's the point of even trying? What's the point of living, right? In a lot of circumstances, um, it's really sad. But the root of this that that would solve, well, it's not, the root of this, guys, guys and gals, um, culture does not define our worth. Culture or anybody else does not define our value. Jesus does. Um, our identity is in our Savior, and nothing else that we are really matters or contributes to that. We're all equal. We're all loved. We are all just the way that God made us, though some of us could afford to go to the gym a few more days a week. Um, that being said, right, like rest in the fact that your identity and who you are is secure in the person of Jesus. And nothing that we do, nothing that we say, nothing that we are outside of that influences how much God cares about us.
It just doesn't. Um, but these women were, were no exception to that, right? Though it wasn't popular for women to be, you know, difference makers and, and people that were making big plays to, to save essentially a whole race uh, at this point in time, like though that wasn't popular or, or thought about a lot, like that's what, that's what happened. That's what they did. And the scripture records that. God honors these women. And by the way, he honored them by giving them families. The Bible says that they were given households for what they did. And women in the ancient Near East, they could not own property, uh, which means they could not grow food for themselves. And so if they were not a part of a household, they were left destitute on the street. And so God says, because you made provision for my people, I will make provision for you, which is why he's called Jehovah Jireh, right? He provides. He always provides for those in need, especially those that are seeing to it that they are providing for the needs of others, even if it costs them everything. And if you think about it, these midwives, they were asked, I mean, the Pharaoh comes to them and he says, hey, listen, I want you to kill these babies. Like, that's an awful thing to ask somebody. And the Bible says that they feared God and they wouldn't do it. But I'm sure there was some conversations had where they were with each other and it's like, well, if we do this, it'll be done in a fashion where nobody's probably going to ask questions. Nobody's going to know. Pharaoh will be happy with us and we'll live and we'll keep our jobs. Like all of these things are going through their mind. They, these women, they had every reason not to do the right thing because they would have lost bare minimum their livelihoods, right? They would have been homeless and on the street and they probably would have lost their lives for directly disobeying the Pharaoh. And so these women, like there, there was no logical reason that they did what they did except for the fact that they wanted to honor their God. And can I say to you that it's not like, it's, it's never ever a convenient thing to, to get to live in God's will. It's just not. Like, it never perfectly falls into line with what we want for our lives. It doesn't. It always comes at a cost. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, and he gives a couple of illustrations, but he says, who, who builds a house and doesn't count the cost first, right? And he says, if you want to follow me, you should be prepared to pick up your cross and follow me. You should be prepared to forsake your entire family if you want to follow me. That's the pattern set forth by Jesus. That doesn't sound very convenient to me. And <laughs> I said this this morning. It's funny in our, you know, just as Americans, like it's like the end of the world when somebody's favorite coffee creamer isn't in the lobby, <laughs> right? And all of y'all that are laughing, I know you've come to me and been like, where's the hazelnut? It's not here. I can't enjoy worship without my coffee, right? Like that's, that's where we're at as a culture. <laughs> and the Bible comes alongside of that and says, listen, like, you know, it's not, like, it's never, it's never convenient to serve Jesus. It's never convenient to do the right thing. And so if you're ever at a crossroads where, a crossroads where you're faced with two decisions, the difficult one is probably the better choice. Just a general rule of thumb. So these women were willing to not only inconvenience themselves, but they laid down their lives for a calling. Let's see, I got here chapter... You can put that up on the screen, uh, Bill. It's uh, Luke 14. This is just a, okay, there it is. Uh, Jesus, or, well, Jesus does speak, but uh, verse 25, now large crowds were going, to, to, going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Powerful words. From Jesus. And so those, these midwives, they lived that out. They, they forsook everything they had for, for this cause of, of, 
of honoring the Lord and preserving these Hebrew children. And lastly, as we, we kind of come to a close here, so, you know, we've, and by way of recapping, right, I got two minutes before 12.15, and maybe I can wrap it up. Maybe we'll get there. Um, you know, we've talked about Pharaoh as, you know, he's being categorized as a dragon because what the enemy is doing behind the scenes, how that's operating, what he's doing is systematic and it's targeted, right? He has a plan to thwart what God is doing. And can I say this once again, that, like, the devil's attacks on your life are targeted, they are intentional, and he does have a desired outcome, right? And we have to be aware of that. And so lastly, in verse 22, I think just verse 22 is in there, Bill, if you want to throw that up there. Um, Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you were to cast into the Nile and every daughter you were to keep alive. Um, really tragic. This is the end of the first chapter. It comes to a close and it kind of sets the stage for what comes next. Uh, the next chapter I'm really excited about next week, Moses kind of comes onto the scene. Uh, he's one of the babies that would have been thrown in the river, uh, which is a really uh, a neat piece to everything. Um, but what's, what's crazy about this, and I was re- <laughs> my library upgrade, I was like, man, I always wanted a copy of the Pseudepigrapha, and now I have it. Um, but in some ancient Jewish material, they would expound on the Old Testament, and it's believed um, that this, this baby's being thrown into the river thing happened for about seven months. Um, so this was like every, every baby born every day for, you know, seven, eight months to a year, uh, just thrown into the river to be crocodile food. Like, this is barbaric. And I was writing this message at my kitchen table while my newborn son was screaming next to me. And I'm like, man, that's a terrible idea, throwing babies into river. Oh, my gosh. How could they do that? This is, this is awful. <laughs> Sorry, Mav. Um, but, no, I love my son. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing. And the, the way this is framed, like, the, look, the enemy's method for destroying God's people then and now is the same. And let me unpack this for you because this is like, to me, this is like, this is like it. Like this principle from this text is, is crazy. Um, but the Nile, the Nile River, and it still is today, um, it is the, sor- the, the single source of life for the Egyptians, right? Without the Nile flooding every year, they have no crops, they die of a famine. Like it's really terrible uh, if the Nile doesn't flood. So much so that if you were Pharaoh and the Nile doesn't overflow one year, they're like, hey, you got something wrong. We're going to get another Pharaoh. So the Nile floods again. Um, and, you know, this happened a bunch throughout Egypt's history. Um, but if that doesn't happen, like that's, their, that's literally their source of life. No Nile, no Egypt, bottom line. And so what Pharaoh is doing is he's, he's throwing babies in it. He's using what should be a source of life to bring death on God's people. And once again, casting Pharaoh as this, this Satan figure, like the enemy's tactics are the same. Uh, all, no, nobody wants to ruin their lives. Nobody does that on purpose, right, by and large. And so what does happen, though, is we see things that are like, oh, man, that looks, looks really good. I think, that would be, I think that would be good for me. I think that would bring me life. But it really brings death. And we think about the garden again, right, where... Eve looks on the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the one thing that God said not to do. I mean, that's a pretty plain rule, right? Like no other rules. Like there's a lot of cool things you could do having just that rule, right? Um, but looking, her looking at the tree and she's like, man, you know, I know that, that I, God said I shouldn't have that. Um, but this serpent that's talking to me says it's going to be good for me and it looks like it's good for me. So I'm going to take it. 
death. Human race cursed from one moment of somebody saying, I'm going to take what God said was not good for me that I think is good for me because I want to. And so, but the enemy has been doing the same thing since day one. Think about it in your own life. I'm going to take that job because the pay's better. But what they don't tell you is you'll never see your family and your kids go to pot, right? I'm going to move to this place because the grass is always greener on the other side, right? No, it's not. I'm going to, you know, go out and have a few drinks with my buddies and get behind the wheel of a car tonight because that seems fine, right? Like all of these, these things that we do that, that we think are, are good things that the enemy convinces us that are, that are fine to do, right? Things that should bring life, things that should bring uh, a little bit of uh, liveliness to our lives, things that should enhance our relationships. No, <laughs> they never do. The enemy uses things that, that look good, that think they should bring us life, or that we think should bring us life. They bring us death, right? And that's why Jesus talks a lot about denying yourself. That's why Jesus doesn't say things like, follow your heart, do what makes you happy. Things that Jesus never said. That's at the top of the list. He said, deny yourself, deprive yourself. Paul said, I do the opposite of what I want to do, and that works pretty good for me, right? What I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do. That was Paul's, like, golden rule for living a, you know, a moral life, right? But our culture says, do what makes you happy. If you want to transition from being a male to a female, you should do that if that makes you happy. If it makes you happy to leave your, your wife or your husband, you should do that because you deserve to be happy, right? All of these things that, you know, are not good. Our culture says, that's great. You do that for you. You go, girl. You do your thing, right? Wrong. The enemy dangles this thing in front of you, this shiny thing, whatever it is, and you look at it and you're like, man, that would probably help me so much. And he says, oh yeah, it sure will. Go ahead and take it. Boom. You're on the hook and that's it. The enemy uses what should bring us life to bring us death. But guess what? Jesus uses what should bring us death to bring us life. Jesus himself put himself to death so that we, we could have life. It's, a, it's like a direct contrast where the devil's, you know, he's not willing to, to die for you, right? But Jesus comes along and says, you know what's going to take for, to give you life? Death. Not only am I going to die for you so that you can have life, but you're going to have to die to yourself every day so that you can live in that life. Jesus offers it. He says, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. But we can't have that if we're not dying every day. That's the, that's the thing. Once again, it's not convenient. It's not easy to be a follower of Jesus. But this is what the gospel calls us to. This is what following Jesus is. It's difficult. It's doing the right thing in the face of adversity. It's going through struggle and saying, that's okay. I know the Lord's doing something. Like that's all these principles from just eight verses in our text here, right? All these ideas that revolve around this. And so my question that I want you to leave with today as we come to a close here is, is what, what are you going to do when you come face to face with the dragon? What are you going to do when the choices that are set before you has one that has a shiny thing, right? One that seems like it's the shoe-in, one that's gonna change your life forever and nothing's ever gonna be the same and you can't wait to do that. And then you got this one over here that's like, well, that's not as glamorous, but I think that's what the Lord wants me to do. 
What are you going to do when you're face-to-face with the dragon? What are you going to do, Hebrew midwives, when nobody's around to look for you to make the wrong decision? Nobody would know. What are you going to do when you're faced with a decision in private, right? We're really, man, I'm thinking of a Craig Groeschel quote right now, and I can't think of it. But what you do in private is really who you are. It's not who you are in public. And these Hebrew midwives that we're looking at, what they did in private probably wasn't known by anybody at the time because they would have been killed for it. But their story lives on because they did the right thing. What are you going to do, Christian, when you are faced with the dragon? Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.